Good evening. Uh, the passage we'll be looking at tonight is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 13 to 29. That's page 812 of the Church Bible. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thorn bushes? So, Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Well, thank you all for helping this evening. And please do keep Matthew uh, 7 in, open in front of you, and that will help us greatly as we look at Jesus' words together. Um, tonight we are thinking about Making a choice. So Jesus is talking about tonight. He's putting a choice in front of us. The most important choice of life. Not whether or not we want to get married or who we get married to. Not whether or not we want to try and buy a house or a flat or a car. Not which subjects we study at school or at university or what kind of job we look for or whether we seek a change of job. Not whether we'll stay in the UK or try and travel abroad now, the choice we face tonight is whether or not we build our lives 
on Jesus' words. That's the simple choice. Will you, will I, build life on Jesus' words? Now, I'm choosing that language of building life on Jesus' words carefully. This is not about whether we listen to Jesus' words. This is not about whether you go to church for the rest of your life, whether you hear a lot of sermons or podcasts or whether you read Christian books. It's not about hearing Jesus' words. It's about doing them, building life based on them. In fact, if you've been around Chalmers on these Sunday evenings over the last couple of months, we have been hearing Jesus' words every week, haven't we? We've been listening to the greatest sermon ever spoken, the Sermon on the Mount, the high-altitude homily. The question is not, have we heard Jesus' words? The question is whether we'll build our lives on his words or not. We have heard them. And so Jesus closes his sermon, this amazing sermon, this sermon that in verse 28 just leaves people astonished at Jesus' teaching because he's teaching as one who has authority, not as, as the scribes. The way Jesus ends this sermon is by laying out a choice of two options. And it is just two options. There's an A and there's a B, and there is no C. So have a look with me. And he keeps doing these pairs of images to, to show there's just two options, A or B. So in verses 13 and 14, there are two kinds of gate, which lead to two kinds of path or way. So there's a choice. Will you go through the gate, enter a life based on Jesus' words? Will you keep walking in line with Jesus' words? Or you do the opposite, just two kinds of way. Then in verses 15 to 23, we're going to hear about two kinds of tree. Which will it be, A or B? There is no C, no third way. And then finally and famously, uh, from verse 24 onwards, we're going to hear about uh, two different houses built on two very different foundations, the sand or the rock. Again, it's just two. It's either A or B, and there is no C. Striking that is stark, uh, because I think loads of us instinctively would love there to be a third way, a kind of third response to the Sermon on the Mount, a kind of middle ground to some of what Jesus has said. You know, something that combines a bit of Jesus, uh, it's not too painful, and a bit of worldly wisdom, a bit of common sense, the kind of here and now priorities. So Jesus, a couple of weeks ago, I know you said, lay up treasure in heaven and not on earth. I know you said you can't serve God and money, but can we negotiate? Let's be sensible. Surely you can do a little bit of both. I know you said seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness earlier in the sermon, but, but couldn't we adjust that to seek second or maybe third God's kingdom and his righteousness? Because there's some other basics of life that we need to get in position first. Jesus, I, said, I know you said not to murder people in our hearts by holding them in contempt, by calling them fools, but, I mean, it can't actually be that serious, can it? A bit of that can't be bad. I know you said that looking at a woman with lust in our hearts is adultery, and we need to take radical action to put that sin to death, but, again, it, it doesn't hurt anyone, does it? Occasionally. I know you said we need to stick to our word, let our yes be yes, our no be no, anything else comes from evil, but, but Jesus, life is complicated. I mean, you can't just tell the truth. You've told us to love our enemies, but do you know what some people have done to me? 
you told us to pray for our needs and your kingdom, but, but there's so much going on in life, so many worries to sort out, it's, it's hard to keep stopping to pray about things. You've told us, as Andrew said earlier, to treat others the way we would like to be treated. But I'm finding life hard enough just trying to look after myself. Is there not a third way, Jesus? Something more manageable, more, a more realistic kind of discipleship? No, says Jesus. It's A or it's B. There is no C. That's the kind of starkness of, of the end of Jesus' sermon. It's this or that. It's my way, the, the life way, or the way of destruction. It's build your life on me, the rock, and my words, or you are building on sand. And so he's saying every single individual has to make this choice. And I think however long we've been in the Christian life, some of us for decades, I'm sure there have been things when we've been listening to Jesus through Matthew 5-7 to that we have found challenging, deeply challenging, Remember, Jesus isn't saying you have to kind of hit a certain mark and then God will be happy with you. No, he's showing us that none of us hit the mark and we need forgiveness and help to change. But from day one all the way through the Christian life, the path following Jesus is to keep building life on his words. I was struck actually, in lots of ways, tonight is Jesus saying, what we heard this morning in Genesis. If you were there, we we heard this warning to Lot and his family not to look back, not to compromise, not to try and keep one foot in this world that they were being saved from. And now Jesus says, there's just two options in front of us. But actually, this passage is not just for Christians, encouraging us to keep going, building our lives on Jesus' words. Why do you think he included a gate as the first image, not just straight into the talk of a path? Look at that, verse 13, the very first words of our chunk. Enter by the narrow gate. Jesus has in mind people who are not yet committed to him tonight. You may be here, you may be listening online. People who've heard bits of what Jesus says, maybe impressed by him, amazed by him perhaps but not yet following him. And Jesus says, well, decision time. You've heard what I have to say. You've heard what I offer, eternal life. Enter by the narrow gate. We will have to make a decision one way or another to not decide to follow Jesus or to not build our lives in response to his words is by default to be rejecting him because he's asking for a response. So let me pray for God's help to trust Jesus' words and respond in our lives. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your son, Jesus, the King of kings, whose words are a rock we can build our lives upon. We pray tonight you'd help all of us by your spirit to trust Jesus and shape our lives around what he says. We pray that someone here or listening might do that for the first time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's dive in then. Um, You can see from uh, inside the sheet you were given, uh, we've got three points tonight, um, three pairs of these images, these contrasting images. 
Um, two paths, then two trees, then two foundations. So let's get into our first one. Verses 13 and 14. Um, two paths. The key question, I think, is which way of life will you choose? That's point one, two paths. Which way of life will you choose? Now, I've said this is, starting both, this is talking sorry, both about starting the Christian life, entering the gate, and continuing the Christian life, walking the, the path. So let me read the verses again. Verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. It's a striking description, this one. It's really similar, actually, to how Jesus began the sermon. He had those beatitudes, those blessings at the start of his sermon in Matthew 5. And like those, this simultaneously explains that it is hard to be a Christian and worth it. Obviously the best life to choose, even though it's obviously the hard life to choose. Why is it hard? Why is he describing it as hard? Well, look at the entry point. Entering the narrow gate represents becoming a Christian. And it's narrow because there's only one way, actually, to become a Christian, to get right with God. Jesus is saying there is just one gate that leads to salvation, to eternal life. Jesus himself said he was the truth, the life, the way. No one comes to the Father except through him. Whereas the other kind of gate, well, it's wide open, isn't it? And the gate is wide. The way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter it by it are many. Now, lots of us struggle with this idea of a narrow entry point, that there's just one way to get right with God. And it's easy to think that that's a kind of new struggle, a modern or postmodern struggle. You know, these days, after the Enlightenment, we're, we're kind of suspicious of absolute claims or exclusive claims. Because now we know that truth isn't kind of black and white, it's shades of grey, and everyone has their own perspective. And who can say, kind of, wouldn't it be arrogant to say, no, your perspective is wrong. Actually, the first century Roman Empire was also multicultural, like the West is today, multi-ethnic, like we are, polytheistic, lots of views about God. And actually, back then, like now, there was a lot of tolerance if you were just going to add a God to the pile. You know, one more way, one more valid way to worship. What was tricky back then and is still tricky now is an exclusive claim, something that criticizes other gods and says, no, there's just one way to life. That's not new now. Jesus himself said, yes, that is how it is. Enter the narrow gate. There aren't many routes up the mountain. It's not many religious paths all leading to the same deity called by different names. No, Jesus is saying it's A, or it's B, and there is no C. A, the narrow gate, Jesus, who alone will die on the cross to pay for our sins, to pay for the ways we fall short of the Sermon on the Mount and God's righteousness, to provide the forgiveness we need before a holy God. That way leads to life, eternal life with God in a perfect, purified creation. And Jesus says, there is no other safe way. Look at that contrast again. Wide, 
is the gate, and easy is the way that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. You can see why many would not want to become a Christian from these couple of verses. Uh, You've got a choice between the the narrow gate and the wide gate, and you've got a choice between the easy uh, path or the hard path. And Jesus' is the hard path. Notice that it's also the minority option. End of verse 13, those who enter the wide gate are many, whereas end of verse 14, those who find the narrow gate are few. Why is Jesus' way so hard? Why is ignoring Jesus so easy, so popular? Partly, I think, as we've seen through this Sermon on the Mount, there is a humbling aspect to following Jesus. We do actually have to admit that we don't know the answers ourselves and that we're not right in ourselves. We need Jesus for forgiveness. Sometimes that mourning over our sin, that admitting that we need Jesus to provide a righteousness that we lack, sometimes saying sorry to God is the hardest thing, to get down on our knees. But actually, it's not just the initial humility that makes Jesus' way hard. I think it's also the unpopularity of it. Again, we saw this in the Beatitudes, and he's coming back to it, I think, at the end of the sermon. Jesus doesn't pretend otherwise. Whether living in the first century or the 21st century, it's very clear that Christians will be a minority in the culture. We're feeling that increasingly in the West at the moment. And actually, that's not kind of something horribly out of step with what Jesus told us to expect. No, it's the norm of what Jesus told us to expect. And it is hard. We were thinking about that with our kids just this week, with school. It's hard to believe things and say things and live in ways that just don't fit with those around us. It's hard to swim against the current, to go against the flow. But of course, when you see the destinations, there is really only one wise choice of these paths. Jesus says life is not like one of Scotland's brilliant mountain bike parks. I don't know if you've ever been to one of these, the Seven Stains, they're amazing. You can pick whatever route you fancy. Some of them are easy, the green, blues, that's where I'm at with the kids. Um, and, And you can go around there and you arrive safely back at the car park. Or you can do the kind of black, red, double blacks, massive obstacles, really high climbs. It's hard work, it's scary, it's full of challenges, proper hard, and you end back at the car park. I did actually try one of those uh, at half turn. It was a bad idea. I couldn't even walk over the obstacles, end up carrying my bike. It's really miserable. Um, one point I was sliding down on my feet with a bike. It was bad. It was really bad. But I ended up at the car park. And you know what? When I got to the car park, I thought, man, I'm never doing the hard route <laughs> because that blue one and that green one ended up in the same place anyway, and they were actually fun. You know, easy rolling, uh, gentle inclines, all ends up happily in the end. Everyone's safe in God's car park in the sky. Jesus' navigation advice says life is more like the paths at Durdle Door in Dorset. So there's this bit of coastline there. There's a well-trodden, popular path. It's smoothed out. It's nice and flat. It heads straight ahead. And there's this moment where now a path snakes off to the right-hand side, up a narrow, steep, difficult walking path. There's a sign there by the fork that says, danger of death beyond this point. 
take the alternative route, the higher route. And a, a few years ago, I, I looked at that sign, and I remember thinking, I bet it's not that risky. I mean, they're probably, they're probably just being risk-averse. Surely this path is so well-trodden. Surely this path would be safe. I did wimp out and go the higher way, but I thought, I bet I didn't need to do that. Then a year or two ago, I saw the headline on the BBC. Massive cliff claps at Durdle Door. Old coastal path route entirely destroyed. Turns out the National Trust did know what they were saying about that particular stretch of coastline. And Jesus, God himself, God's king on earth, with all of God's authority to judge, knows what he's talking about when it comes to life and eternity. He says, the gate is wide, the way is easy, that leads to destruction. Those who enter it by it are many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And so Jesus, tonight, with all his love, says, if you haven't entered yet, if you haven't started with me, start with me before it's too late. For those of us who are Christians, with all his love, Jesus says, there's no third way to what I've been teaching. Choose life. Choose to respond to my words. Build your life on what I say. That's our first point. Two paths, which way of life will you choose? And in lots of ways, that's the big message. Uh, but we get on then to two trees. And this is actually about whose voice we listen to. Um, we've just heard Jesus' voice. So the, the historical Jesus, and there's lots of eyewitnesses to him, uh, lots of different historical records, including of this sermon. Um, we know what he actually said reliably. But if you were to walk around a Christian bookshop or flick on around the, the God Channel or sample the full breadth of churches in Edinburgh or religious, listen to religious podcasts or YouTube channels, you could find plenty of people who, in the name of Jesus, would say that whole idea of judgment or that narrow gate, as if there's just one way to be right. Well, that can't be right. It's antiquated or unloving or judgmental or narrow. I mean, that last criticism is particularly ironic, isn't it? Because Jesus said it was narrow. That was his point. In every generation of humanity, God has, has warned that there will be um, true teachers and false teachers. And so this second point, our second A and B options, are about who we listen to. Two trees, which voice will we listen to? We're never going to stay on Jesus' path, the hard path, if we listen to someone coming along saying, well, actually, there is an easier way, and it all ends up in the car park, nice and safe. Jesus is a bit over the top, a bit black and white. Maybe there is a kind of Christianity where we can define ethics for ourselves that the church can move on from Jesus. Maybe sexual sin isn't defined the way the Bible defines it. Maybe discipleship isn't as radical as Jesus describes it. The kind of following Jesus that can just fit into the corner of my life a basically unchanged life. Jesus says, verse 15, Beware, false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, we're going to get to the two trees in a moment. But actually, he's starting with the, the little red riding hood image. And I'm sure that's not where he got it from. But, you know, it's a ravenous wolf hiding in other clothes. Not grandma's clothes here, but sheep's clothing. 
The point being, these people will look like Christians. They'll call themselves Christians. They'll mention the name of Jesus. They'll be preaching in a church, saying the kind of phrases that, that are either almost right or right some of the time. False teachers, or at least the dangerous kind of false teachers, don't come with flashing lights and alarm bells going off. No, they preach from shiny pulpits like this one, in smart buildings like this one, often to young congregations like this one. We're not all young, but many. Jesus says, beware. Be careful which voice to listen to. How do we tell? How can we weigh up Jesus' words? Well, wonderfully, we have Jesus's. Sorry, way up their words. We don't need to weigh Jesus's words. They're right. And wonderfully, we have Jesus's words, don't we? It's such a privilege to have a printed Bible in our language. We can look for ourselves at what Jesus actually said and weigh up what we're hearing against that Jesus test. Is what they're saying what he said? Are they ignoring what Jesus said or denying what Jesus said or just fudging it, twisting it a bit? That's one test we can do. The kind of how does it compare to Jesus's words in the Bible? That's why we're always saying, please keep your Bibles open in front of you, so you can hold us accountable to what we teach. Actually, Jesus has another test here, another way to discern what we're hearing and teaching. How do we tell the difference between a true shepherd or a wolf in sheep's clothing? Well, verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. The point is clear, isn't it? He tops and tails it in that little chunk. If you want to know if a particular Christian speaker is authentic, don't judge by the appearances. They might be dressed in in sheep's clothing. They might talk a good game, the right kind of phrases. They might come from the right stable of kind of trusted churches or networks, people like us. Now, don't judge by any of that. Judge by the actual fruit in their lives. So, possibly for the last time this year, let me give an illustration from the tomato plants in our garden. It's fair to say that they're still out there, actually. We haven't cleared them away. They're not doing brilliantly anymore about growing tomatoes. They're kind of past their best. But for illustrations, they're still paying dividends. Um, so this is actually true. When you look at tomato plants, the, the stems and the leaves, like, there's sometimes kind of brown marks and stuff. You're not quite sure, is that like diseased? Is that some kind of fungal thing that's got right into the roots? Or is it, or does it just happened to be a couple of leaves are looking a bit worse for wear? But when the tomatoes are is diseased on the inside. They come out brown and scarred. You know the whole plant is diseased on the inside. Jesus says, look at the life, look at the fruit, that's how you tell. Now just say, as with every Christian, every Christian leader is not perfect. We're all sinners saved by grace. So it's not to say that if someone, unless someone is kind of completely perfect, never listen to anything they say. But Jesus does expect us to show discernment. We might think, well, how does that fit with chapter 7, verse 1? Wasn't that big kind of message there, judge not that you not be not judged? Surely there's some kind of embargo on any kind of critical thinking for Christians, discerning about someone. Now, as Jay mentioned um, on that passage, 
Yes, Jesus is warning about proud, hypocritical judgmentalism, but he does still expect Christians to make discerning judgments, first about ourselves, our own sin, and then actually in help of others. And that discernment should apply to who we listen to. It's simply not safe to have a rule of thumb that anyone who claims to speak for Jesus must be speaking for Jesus. Or anyone who starts a a Christian podcast or even opens a Bible and starts preaching from that, it's not safe to think that they're automatically feeding us truth. How do we tell? Look at the life, look at the fruit. To which we might well say, well, I can't see their life. They're on the internet. Exactly. (laughs) So be careful. That's one one of the the downsides. It's a wonderful thing that we have such resources and they're shared by the, the church all over the globe, but there's also a load of rubbish being shared all over the globe. And we're too far away to tell, actually, often someone's life. That person's in America, or they're famous. I could never get close. Jesus' design of local churches with regular teachers, pastors, teachers, elders who are known and knowable is important. Our lives should be on display, both to model that we're trying to put in practice what we're teaching and to set off alarm bells. If we say one thing with our mouths and don't live with integrity or consistency in ourselves responding to what Jesus is saying. Again, not that we're perfect. All of us are works in progress. But it's sobering to think, actually, the sign of my authenticity to speak anything in the Sermon on the Mount to you is, am I listening to it myself? What is this fruit we're supposed to see? Well, strikingly, not the fruit of the ministry they're doing. Let's just have a look at verse 20. Um, Jay really helped me with this. Verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. What kind of fruit? Well, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I think this is one of the most remarkable passages in the whole of Scripture about how to evaluate a church ministry or an individual pastor and their ministry. Jesus has already said it's not about how someone looks. They could be dressed in sheep's clothing. They could look the part. He said it's not just about what they say. They could be saying, Lord, Lord, using the name of Jesus regularly. But most importantly here, the fruit we're looking for is not the ministry output or even the ministry success or even ministry miracles that happened on their watch. You see that, verse 22? On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? There's the teaching ministry. Cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. There's the miracle ministry. And now Jesus' verdict. I will declare to them, I never knew you. Striking that, isn't it? People could be speaking in the name of Jesus, even doing exorcisms, miracles, and not be the authentic part. So how can we tell? I mean, how can you tell? Verse 21. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's the personal obedience to God, the response to Jesus' words, the humility to say, yeah, I need to repent. We need to repent. We all need to turn around and keep building our lives on Jesus' word. It's someone who's walking on the narrow, hard path of Jesus' words that we should listen to and go along with. That's point two. Two trees. Which voice will we listen to? And I think in this generation, in this age, where there is so much uh, available material out there, so many different resources, I think this is really important. Particularly on the internet, I think we mustn't judge by momentum or hype. There's thousands of people going to that person's church. Amazing things seem to be happening. Someone's heard of miracles in that movement. Jesus would say, but are they listening to me? Putting it into practice. That's the key. Two trees. And then finally, uh, more briefly, our final point, our final pair. Two houses. Uh, But actually, it's not about the houses. It's about the foundations that the houses are built on. Um, Two houses here. And Jesus is asking us the question, what will you build your life on? Um, Now, these two houses, uh, I imagine initially they looked pretty similar. Um, Probably the the house built on the, the sand foundation probably sprung up quicker. Easier to build in sandy soil than on rock. If anything, it probably looked like the rock construction guy was kind of lagging behind in the race of life. He's picking such a hard path to shape his life on. But again, think of those images of the coastline. There were some in Norfolk recently where whole chunks of cliff are just falling down with houses on them. Jesus says, when God's judgment comes, I think that's what the storm is talking about when God's judgment comes at the end. Here's the difference. Listen out. Stands. Verse 24. Here's the difference. Listen out for it. What makes the difference? Everyone everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. It's striking how similar these two men are. They both hear Jesus' words. That means they both be in church or at the sermon, listening, hearing. They both build a house. They're both kind of actively developing life, but only one of them allowed the words they'd heard from Jesus to affect where they were building their life. That's the difference. Only one of them actually did something in response. It's a healthy question to ask. When was the last time Jesus changed something I do or think or say? When was the last time I respond? Not just, that's interesting, that's striking, wow, but actually... That means I'm going to live differently now. Now, as we close, I want to make clear, I think the aim of Jesus here is not that we go out the building thinking, right, I'm going to grit my teeth and try slightly harder to obey slightly more of the Sermon on the Mount this this week. 
Because the way Jesus has been teaching us is this way of humility and dependence on the Lord. Jesus has been showing us that we do fall short of righteousness, God's righteousness. He's called us to be holy as our heavenly Father is perfect. And he's asked us to pray. That's part of the the path he's setting out in front of us. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation. To pray, as we saw in chapter 7, verse 7, ask and it will be given of you. So the purpose of this, the the choice of, of paths, is not just to say you need to try a lot harder to be a lot better. No, what Jesus is saying is you need to follow my way which means coming to God on our knees, saying sorry that we fall short of his standards, and asking for help to genuinely change. That is such a different way from just walking out unchanged or thinking God's standards aren't really that high. Let's bring them down to something more manageable. Jesus says, it may be hard, You may be in the minority. It may feel like it's a a tougher place to build your life than on the sand. Actually, I am the gate that leads to life. This is the path that takes us home to eternity. This is the house, the foundation that will stand forever through God's judgment. Now, if you haven't ever started trusting Jesus and following him, maybe you feel you don't know enough. You kind of don't yet know how is it Jesus saves us. And I'd love to chat to you and pray with you afterwards about that. Or you could talk to a Christian friend you know. Um, But for all of us, I hope as we come to the end of this Sermon on the Mount, we're doing what we'll see next week, the leper do, in chapter 8, verse 2. Coming and kneeling before Jesus and saying to him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. You've shown me what it looks like to live by the kingdom of God's standards. Now, please help me. I don't want to leave unchanged. So let me pray for God's help now. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you that Jesus loves us enough to be clear. Thank you that he's so clear in this passage. There are just two ways to respond to his voice, or to ignore him. And those two ways, though one is hard and unpopular, it leads to life. And the other is easy and popular and leads to destruction. And So we pray very much for each of us, you would help us as we reflect on what Jesus has been teaching us over recent months. You would help us to take his words seriously to respond in turning to you for forgiveness and for help to change. And we pray very much this would be a church family where we help each other keep going one day at a time, one step at a time on your path. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.